Welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where we discuss OSHA, EPA, safety policy, safety training, employee engagement, and everything in between. Safety is so much more than a technical skill. It's a motivational need. It's a means of engaging your team. Safety is a meaningful business practice that makes a direct impact on everyone in the organization. Hi, I'm your host for the podcast, Dr. Mark French, also known as The Safety Dude. As a certified safety professional and nationally registered EMT, I am excited to share my knowledge and passion from experience in environmental health, safety, security, and human resources. I've worked in the automotive, foods, chemical, nuclear, and e-commerce fields. I'm so glad you're joining me for this episode as we talk through the current issues in environmental health and safety and how they can affect the culture of your organization. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. So happy you could join me. Uh, Welcome into October. And so continuing on with the year here and of course this first half of the podcast really going to focus on again uh, COVID-19 and how things are continuing to evolve and change and I think one of the more interesting items that I've come across is looking at that there's a lot of fines coming through so in the beginning there was a lot of complaints so the evolution has continued a lot of complaints about OSHA not responding, OSHA not getting out and doing their due diligence and and finding the issues and going out there and investigating when there's calls and and such that's going on. And now we're seeing that the fines are starting to come through, that they're starting to file that paperwork, the fines are coming through. So in its beginning, of course, with the medical community and those businesses that were remaining open during the pandemic, the main part of the crisis, I know it's still going on, but the early part of the crisis where there were certain food plants and essential businesses that were allowed to stay operational during that process. And so one was a beef plant in the Midwest, and the fine was only $957. I was amazed by that. I was like, wow, that's pretty affordable for something that had uh, almost a thousand workers in 40%, uh, according to this article, is that nearly 40% of the population had tested positive for the virus, um, which is huge. And the only fine they received was not keeping a log of the workplace injuries that were occurring. And again, the fine was only $957. So fix the issue and um, fix the fine and pay for that. I think that's, um, I wonder how many more will play that. Because I'm seeing fines like over on the West Coast that, hundreds of thousands of dollars here in the Midwest there. It was less than a thousand dollars. And it's interesting that it was only for workplace injury reporting and logging. So again, we're back into that situation of when do you record a COVID case? And I think it really comes down to due diligence. Did you do enough information to prove or within a reasonable amount of effort 
to see if it was work-related. Did Were you able to trace? Did this person come into uh, contact with someone else who was COVID positive within the time frame that would account for it? And I think that's where we're finding that cameras are becoming more and more such a tool, not just for security or reviewing incidents, but trying to find, like, track people. And maybe it's one of those opportunities to really say, hey, we need better camera system. We need to be able to trace someone from point A to point B all the way through their day. Can we find them? Can we trace them um, where they went and maybe who they came into contact with? I also know, uh, being a safety professional, uh, and I'm sure you're getting the same calls that I'm getting, my inbox is absolutely getting just beat down with new technology of people who are trying to sell their product that will either do something about social distancing, that it's a wearable device, and that if you get too close to someone, it'll buzz to let you know, hey, you're you're too close. And they'll also data log. So it'll say that device one came within six feet of device two, which is owned by whomever. So Mark came into contact with John, and they stayed together for two minutes and then separated at noon on Friday. So you can actually see who is being into contact. So if you know that Mark tested COVID for tested positive for COVID, and then you see that John a week later tested positive, and you don't have any reasonable doubt that maybe that wasn't just from outside contact, that he didn't have any other, like he was involved in some sort of outside activity that would have required him to be in very, very close proximity, then we have some liability there to record keep that because it's a work-related illness, potentially. And so, again, it's about due diligence. It's about not just making assumptions of what is happening. And that's the worst thing a safety professional can do is make that assumption that you've got to be able to trace it. And I will say that that was something I had to learn. It was not early on. I'd always just say, oh, you know, I think it'll be okay. Eh, it'll be all right. And I worked with a really good set of auditors one time internal auditors who did work for the company, and that's what their full-time job was, to audit the programs, to audit, and it was a a lot for nuclear safety, of course, at that time in that world, because that's one of the requirements of that, but they would also do um, health and safety. They would do all the programs, and they taught me a lot about what does it look like to do your due diligence. Like, they would just keep kind of pulling on the thread, and they were really good at pulling on it just enough to try to get you to see that, yeah, I've got a gap there. And sometimes those gaps, you would talk and find out that maybe there wasn't a fix there, that there there wasn't a way that you could prove that, and it really wasn't necessary by law to prove that distance that we went. Um, and we would settle that. But then a lot of times I would learn, like, what does that look like? How does how do you How are you able to show that you've done what you say you're doing? Like, you can have a great written program, and can you prove that you're doing it? And how do you prove that you're doing it? And how can you show it in real life? And I think with record-keeping, and I've went completely off on a tangent here, but with record-keeping in this new world of COVID-19, I think it's going to be about who keeps the better paperwork. 
And that's also another great story that I have that I was able to kind of make an example of one time. And it taught me something, too, because I was amazed. So we had an issue. We actually brought in a lot of raw material by rail. And we had a very, it was a near miss. So we were very fortunate. It was a near miss. Something happened. I can't remember what it was. But the rail company had to file paperwork. And then, of course, I required our paperwork also so we could compare and learn. Because both organizations, um, I as the, the company rep and then the rail safety person wanted to learn from it. And the level of detail that the rail company had on their near miss form and the level of detail that their their team member was able to put on that piece of paper was astounding to me. And when I showed it to everyone else, I like, look, this was our write-up and this is the rail company's write-up. If I was to see who was at fault, I would think it was us because the level of detail that was in this report was amazing. They were trained very, very well and took a lot of passion in making sure that the details were there. And so a lot of times it's about who has the better paperwork, who collected it better, who wrote it better, who kept the details, who knew what was happening that day. And not that we were trying to point fingers at fault, but it was a great example that what if we were what if this was something that was being litigated? Do we have the paperwork necessary to be able to make sure that we're providing the right level of attention to this? And I think this is where we're going to have to look at with the OSHA log. So long story short, <laughs> went a long way around to make a point on this one. But it's about, did you look around? Did you do due diligence? So if OSHA came in and said, hey, is employee 1234, they were COVID positive. What showed you that they were not, that they did not have any contact with someone? Or how do you know it's not work-related? And can you show something about that? And did you know that they were, um, so there's a lot of information here. And we're, we're adapting as fast as we can to get going with this. And we certainly don't want to be found left behind because um, eventually OSHA is going to catch up. They are going to get through the massive amount of work that has been tossed on their desks. And they're going to come and, and investigate every one of them in some form or fashion. Whether it be through a letter, whether it be through an on-site visit, whether it be through a request for documentation. In some way or some form, they are going to come looking for this information. And so, we have to be prepared. As safety professionals, we have to take that item, we have to pull that string, and we have to see if, if our argument holds water there. And I think in a lot of cases, we're, we're learning from that, and we're doing it, because we're pretty good at following that logical sequence anyway. But it's something to be thinking about. Have we been doing that? And I know some of it we may not be able to catch up and figure out. The past is the past, and sometimes you just can't find the information you need. But I think going forward, it's something very much to consider. More podcast coming up in just a moment. TSD Amalgamated, your partner in safety consulting. Find them on the web at tsdamalgamated.com. 
With over 15 years of experience in various industries, setting up ISO, TS, and RC systems, the professional team at TSD Amalgamated is ready to help you take your safety program to that next level. TSD Amalgamated is skilled in technical and behavioral auditing, from training employees on OSHA compliance standards to helping your leadership team see how safety can help drive real organizational change. TSD Amalgamated is there to be your partner. Their process is not a fill-in-the-blank policy or training process. They want to know your team, your needs, and create processes that create total organizational ownership. TSD Amalgamated, where do you want your safety programs to take you? www.tsdamalgamated.com Welcome back to the second half of the podcast. So we're going to continue the second half talking a little bit about COVID-19, but transition it into a whole nother topic. But I think it starts here. And this was an interesting article I came across um, through an EMS website. And there's some early data coming through showing that the risk of fatality for EMS workers is higher than for healthcare and public safety personnel. And... Of course, the data is new. Uh, it was mainly a statistical analysis to look to see if there is a correlation there. And there appears to be that EMS deaths because of COVID is higher per 100,000 people than in other like fire, police, nurses, or physicians. And why is that? And I don't think they've really gotten to the why yet because the first step was to see is there is there a correlation. And it looks like early PPE use early training, and, and really what they focus on here is, one, do they have the support? Are we giving our EMS folks that first line? So if someone isn't feeling well and they call 911, that's who's dispatched. It's our EMS workers. Those frontline workers are getting out there and having to figure it out and wear their PPE and be part of it. So do they have the support? Are they being encouraged to wear, wear that PPE? Is the PPE available? Hopefully it is by now. Uh, supplies are back in stock. Are, are we available? Are we providing it? Do we have ongoing training for how to adapt? Because they walk into a lot of situations. It could be anywhere from just a sick person needing transport to a severe critical medical emergency to a car wreck to a playground incident. It's everywhere, and it could be anything. So are we prepared? Are we preparing them through proper training on how to do that? And so what are we doing? So I think there's going to be a lot more coming out from this to understand that we need to be able to train our EMS teams. We need to be able to support them, and we need to make sure that they're ready to go because they're in a very important part of that infrastructure. And so what I'm going to transition to now is a great article that I read about, it was a, a community college um, that um, is really focusing on safety, like part of their curriculum. And the technical college system is amazing for that, teaching a lot of the trades that we need right now. We need good welders. We need good pipe fitters. We need the nurses that are coming out of these. We need the EMS workers who are coming out of this. So there's a lot of trades and a lot of great work 
and great jobs that are coming out of our community college technical system. And there's always that in that place. There's always the let's teach you your trade. But there was an article written about this one specific college that really was focusing on safety outside of when you get into your workplace. You're supposed to get safety training, and we hope you get it. But let us go ahead and train you on the safety part of what you're doing. And, of course, they talk about, because that's the hot topic, is COVID and how they're training each of their 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 students that in your respective field, here's what we know about COVID, and here's what we know about training you to protect yourself from COVID. So when we talk about EMS, a lot of them will come from a technical college or an EMS college or a college course of some form to be able to perform that medical work. And maybe that's the first step is that before they even set foot or throughout their curriculum, they're being trained on, okay, it's not just your normal PPE anymore. We're going to protect you from COVID too. Because that's the first thing in EMS. I remember learning that and I still occasionally when I get the chance to go and be a teaching assistant for that. Um, well, the first, of course, the first thing we remind them of is that are you wearing your body substance isolation? <laughs> are you wearing your gloves, a mask if you need it, goggles? Um, do you, are you got the right PPE for what you're encountering? But a lot of it was bloodborne, like traditional bloodborne blood. Um, so they're evolving that to learn about COVID and how we can adapt and change to if you're in this situation, how are you protecting yourself from COVID-19? So it's a great first step. And I do love the idea of education. I love the idea of the hands-on education, practical application of the education. So again, we're, we're just adapting. We're taking what we already know is in place. We already have been training our EMS to really get it ingrained that they're wearing gloves during an education. That's the first thing. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Are you putting on anything you need to protect yourself from the fluids that come at you as an EMS worker? Now... Let's focus on that next thing. We now know we're in this pandemic. We're going to be in it for a little while longer. It certainly appears that way. How do we protect our team from that? And let's start educating our team on that sooner the better. And if it's in while they're still learning it and they're still new, we're able to ingrain it so much sooner. And it's already part of it. And there's a lot of great articles out there and there's a lot of great researchers out there who are looking at, so I'm taking a step back here, looking at, are we training and teaching the right way to provide safety to anyone entering the workforce? So there will be those that if will start working when they're 16 years old in high school, maybe to pay for their car or insurance or starting that process of moving out on their own. There'll be those that after they graduate from high school will go and find a job. There will be those that go to a two-year college, a technical system, or apprenticeship, and then be in a full-time job on their own. There'll be those that go on to college or do other things. So throughout this process, we have people entering the workforce at very different phases of their life based on what they want to do, based on their interests, based on their skills. But are we preparing them for that? Because a lot of times we're not receiving safety training. We're receiving on-the-job training. And so we're, we're exposing some very vulnerable groups to unsafe situations. 
And I know there's been a lot of discussion not to politically put anything political into this because that's not my goal. My goal is that we're protecting people. And so I say this because our teachers are already extremely overwhelmed. They're doing as much as they can with what they're given. They do a great job. But one of the things I'd love to see more of is practical education in the school system. As simple as maybe teaching some basic safety items. Like here's how when you're when you're out there and you might get your first job, some things to know, some basic safety items you should be prepared for because more than likely your workplace may not provide it. And the truth is a lot of workplaces claim safety training is on the job training. Some of them show you that basic safety video of don't get hurt and that's your safety training. And or if you're going to work, maybe you're going to work at a very, very small business and it's OSHA exempt. And then again, our, our farmers should be protected. A lot of farms are small family farms and teaching safety is so important. Another article that I came across that fits in perfect with this is that they were talking about that, hey, we're bringing in a lot of crops. I know if Around here, I'm seeing them working day and night now to bring everything in as it's prepared. Corn, especially right now, this time of year, is being brought in. And they're talking about that our young farmers are really watching our older farmers and how they work. Even though the older farmers may lecture them and say, don't put your hand there, don't do this, don't be careful here. They're watching and they need to see a consistent stance to safety. They need to be able to see it. So they need to be able to. So here's we've come full circle. We need to teach it and we need to teach it through all levels. It, it should be something in what we're doing, no matter what it is. How are you safe when you're doing it? Protect yourself. You are an important person. You should be protected, especially at work. So then when we're at the work site or maybe we're at our family farm, are we watching people consistently do it safely because we learn more from watching. And that's true anywhere because there's, there's always been the, um, the DuPont uh, mantra that for a supervisor, when you're training supervisors on safety, that their minimum is everyone else's maximum because that's what we see. If it's okay to take off your safety gloves once every two weeks, suddenly it's okay to take them off all the time. <laughs> it's just the way we are psychologically. That's the way we work. But we want to protect our young farmers out there. And we do that through setting a very consistent example of the right way we protect. Because, of course, the news has still got lots of entrapment, engulfment, caught in. Um, even locally, there was a picture of someone who was working around a tractor and got their clothes completely ripped off of them. If they hadn't had a friend there with them at the time to knock them loose, it could have been a lot worse. And so we need to have that consistent example. So something to think about as we go into this fall season is one, how are we training it? Are we teaching it in one big spot? Are we, are we trying to integrate it in? How do we better integrated in? How do we treat it like this community college system? And we start looking at how do we integrate it into every part of our training? And then how do we set that consistent example? Until next time we chat, stay safe.
Thanks for listening to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Join the conversation on the internet at www.thesafetydude.org or on Twitter at thesafetydude. As always, all opinions are my own and not affiliated with any business entity. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. It is not a substitute for proper policy, appropriate training, or legal advice. I always encourage you to learn more about safety regulations and examine the facts with your unique perspective. This has been the Leading and Learning Through Safety Podcast.